Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a good show ahead for you. we got Daniel Gallen followed by Tyler Calvaruso, going to do a lot of uh, recruiting conversation during the second half of this show. But as usual, uh, coming off the Tuesday press conference with James Franklin, some player calls. We bring in Daniel Gallon to break down the latest. And Daniel, uh, the I guess the ebb and flow of these Tuesday James Franklin press conferences have been so compelling in the second half of this season. For so much, it was like walking on eggshells with the quarterback conversation. But after a couple impressive wins that really don't leave a lot of questioning about where this team is right now, and from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, the conversation shifts to player availability and to that farewell tour that some of these players are making. It's not a long list because of what the COVID year has created in college football. It's a very short list of Penn State players who are legitimately on their final few games of college eligibility. But that's where we're at right now. Not talking about position battles. It was about player availability, and it was about the good soldiers of the locker room who are starting to, you know, fight those final battles in big 10 football. It, it's about the, the bumps and bruises at this time of year. James Franklin would probably tell you that, well, everybody's playing through something right now, but it, it's who we're seeing, who we haven't seen, who we could see the, these next two weeks and who we're not going to see anymore uh, after the regular season or the bowl game ends. Um, it, it's kind of funny to, because of the way that, that the media availability works, that there's all these, prefaces to the questions uh where with guys where it's like well we don't know if we're going to get to talk to you again so it yeah. i think that it kind of gets guys out of the out of the one to know mentality a little bit it, you can take a little bit of a bigger picture because there's two weeks left in this thing you know we've done 10 games uh august i forget i think august 6th i forget what day of uh i forget what day media day was but that was a long that time sounds, ago. That sounds about right. <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it, it was a it was a long time ago um, at this point. So, um, you know, you kind of are, are moving forward from there. There's a little bit of time left and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see who, who's out there, who makes it to the finish line and, and wh- where we go from there. But, you know, you're right. I think today was James Franklin's longest Tuesday presser. Um, There's a lot to go over. There's a lot of Rutgers talk. Uh, and there's just kind of a, a lot of, you know, disparate topics. I mean, Penn State is kind of in what we talked about, where they're in that kind of a, a weird place where, you know, things can still end pretty well for them, depending on what happens in front of them, what the college football playoff rankings look like later Tuesday evening, um, you know, what the bowl selection process looks like. But they're still out of that that Big Ten mix, out of that college football playoff mix. Um, so it is a little bit of a of a limbo of sorts. Um, but Still got to take care of what's in front of you, and that's Rutgers this Saturday. Yeah, we spent a lot of time on the last episode when we were joined by Mark, Mark Brennan, 
breaking down some of that big picture stuff, how you want to finish while balancing out the, 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 the possibilities for 2023 and what we're seeing take place with younger members of the roster at this stage, but trying to finish in impressive fashion, ended up in a cotton bowl or an orange bowl or one of those type New Year's, New Year's six level stages. Um, now, James Franklin did begin this press conference, I'm sure as many college coaches, if not most college coaches uh, will this week uh, with a nod to UVA and, and the tragedy that they're dealing with uh, just to try, I mean, just unbelievable situation it's uh franklin said it was difficult to fathom as the leader of a football team and as a father um i'm only one of those things and it, it hits you in a different way when you get to that point but anybody who's, who's seen this uh senseless situation play out and, and three players lost from that locker room and three lives lost um it, it reminded me as well that anthony poindexter who was an all-american down in virginia now a, a safeties coach here with Penn State, was very close, if you recall, Daniel, to becoming the head coach of Virginia. Many thought that he was the guy for that job, and you kind of just imagine what his life would be right now if it played out that way. Uh, but I figured we didn't reference that. I felt like we should have referenced that in the last podcast. Anyone affiliated or touched by the college football universe uh, should probably acknowledge what's happening at Virginia, and we'll do that right now because James Franklin did as well. Moving ahead a little bit, James Franklin, in his opening statement, also addressed Joey Porter's status. And his reasoning for that was he had identified, apparently, or something was brought to his attention that he had deemed to be misreporting. I, I, I did not see that myself. I can confidently say it did not come from our end at Lions 24-7. Uh, but at the end of the day, we got details publicly about what's going on with Joey Porter Jr. It's appendicitis. And he did tell us it was a non-football-related injury uh, coming out of that matchup on Saturday, we saw Porter in street clothes. It was a surprise not to see him play in that game. Uh, ultimately, though, this shed some light on what's happening with Joey Porter, who you talk about anybody who's in a situation to be peaking towards 2023 and what could happen. He's a guy who can certainly be doing that. Many consider him maybe the top cornerback in college football on the draft board. But he also said they expect Joey Porter back into the fold. Would seem to me that Rutgers this Saturday maybe a long shot – Back in Beaver Stadium, what likely shapes up is his last opportunity to play a home game in a Penn State uniform. And then beyond that, I think it's just safe to say, Daniel, you and I, for the sake of the podcast, for the sake of our listeners, in this moment with two weeks left to play, let's push back the will he or won't he opt out of the bowl game just a little bit deeper into November, shall we? Definitely. Um, you know, the, the Joey Porter Jr. situation, it, it was good to get uh, some, to you know, get shed some light on that, get some more information. Um, I think that when you hear the the phrase non-football injury, that can just go in, in so many different directions. Um, but but the fact that he was out there, you know, on the sideline in street clothes, uh, that that Letterman jacket looked pretty, you know, like what you want to wear on a sideline on a day like Saturday was uh, at Beaver Stadium. Um, did we see him tossing a football too? On the, I mean, did, did we, yeah, I, was, I thought we saw him kind of tossing around a football a little bit he, with someone down there. He was, he was tossing the football around mm -hmm. underneath during warmups. I mean, it, it was the, a very classic, I think kind of athlete fidgeting, um, that, that he was <laughs> yeah, doing right. where, you know, someone who, you know, even if they know that they're, they can't be out there, even if they even physically feel like they can't be out there. Um, you know, you, you kind of get that football in your hands and, you know, it, the it adrenaline, the lights. Oh, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, I think that it will be interesting to see if we see him again. Uh, James Franklin had a, a pretty funny comment uh, about, you know, in terms of timelines and when, you know, the, the doctors online and people start, you know, doing their own research about timelines to come back from injuries. Um, I think that I've learned that, uh, you know, when a guy comes back, that's when he comes back. 
Uh, I unfollowed the pro football doc on Twitter a long time ago because it just made things a, a lot easier to just, you know, we'll, we'll see him when we see him. So I don't know if we'll see Joey Porter uh, the next two weeks. Uh, I don't know if we'll, you know, see, like you said, who knows if we'll see him in the bowl game. That's not a conversation I want to get into yet. Uh, but it does open up a pretty interesting uh, opportunity for some younger cornerbacks, or I should say some other cornerbacks, because uh, two of the guys seeing an uptick in reps are the, the same age as Joey Porter Jr. Um, but Johnny Dixon picked up a lot of praise uh, from James Franklin today. Dixon started across from Kalen King. Um, Marquise Wilson, after being uh, a, a little limited, I guess, for a couple weeks. He saw a big uptick in snaps, and it'll be interesting to see what the secondary looks like without a guy that you know we considered to be a, a shutdown corner who could take away half of the field. Yeah, and, and Dixon has eight pass breakups up, eight pass breakups on the season here, which is pretty high up on the Big Ten pecking order. Just happens to play with guys who are among Power Five leaders in those categories. Caitlin King actually surpassed Joey Porter Jr. this past game. He had a pass breakup. He has twelve on the season. Porter has 11. They're up there with everybody. But Dixon has played a ton of football. There was that rotation of starts between him and King for about the solid two months of the season. It's been more of King as the starter once we got deeper into Big Ten play. But here it is, the depth that you were looking for in the roster, the depth that we were talking about, where early on maybe it's a luxury to have a John Dixon come off the bench. Now it's a necessity if you want to maintain where you're at as a defense to have him in a starting role. Um, oh, by the way, he has three sacks on the season. Uh, he has two takeaways on the season. Uh, and, and he has been a tremendous pickup in year two coming out of South Carolina. I think you saw positive signs about this pickup last year, and you thought you got yourself at least a very good role player, a, a two-deep type player for your team. Right now, it feels like he's a guy who is an emerging figure on this defense. And if he's sticking around next year, you just always have to wonder if when a guy's in year four in college football and he's putting together a strong season at this level. But if he's around next year, he's going to be in a really excellent spot. And so is Terry Smith, the cornerbacks coach, because of what they've gained on the field. And by the way, Marquise Wilson played a season high 40 plus snaps. I mean, this is a guy who really stepped up against uh, against Maryland on Saturday when they shut down uh, that passing game. And, and he was a big part of that equation. Uh, Cam Miller, Christian Driver, two freshmen involved there. And with Christian Driver, he was another name that surfaced in the press conference really briefly, but it was a nugget into how things are developing. He is playing on both sides of the ball right now on the practice field. We've actually seen him involved a little bit on Saturday. It was a second college game he's been in, played some at cornerback, played some on special teams, but receiver is now where you kind of look toward and, and wonder if long-term he might end up finding a home there. It's been a discussion that goes all the way back to his recruiting days for a while. The Penn State initially offered as a defensive back. His father, of course, has that NFL pedigree, played wide receiver for the Packers uh, for a year with James Franklin as a receivers coach with Green Bay. So there's a lot of history and understanding there about uh, dad played receiver at a pretty high level. So if he wants the ball in his hands, we've got to at least entertain the idea and certainly showed the ball skills to the high school. But 300 total tackles in high school, Daniel. And and this is a, a guy that we rated at, at, as a four-star defensive back at 24-7 sports, although he was an athlete for a long time, didn't have that positional designation. I'm intrigued by this. I think that, that, that maybe you learned some lessons, though, as a Nittany Lions staff of, of prolonging this process because of what happened with Marquise Wilson. It feels like a portion of his 
Penn State career may have been lost in the shuffle. We've seen him excel at cornerback at different stages in his career. Maybe he's not the most complete cornerback on this roster and, and never has been, but he's a playmaker back there. And I think we all understand that. Spent a year, played receiver, came out of it with three career catches and ended up right back in the defensive back room. I think with Christian Driver, maybe this carries into the spring. Curious about that. Uh, I think it's the right time of his career to explore this though right now because he's bound for a red shirt with only those two games played. And you've got those 15 spring practices ahead where if you still feel like you're on the fence as a staff, you can take a longer look. Yeah, I was really curious when when this nugget kind of surfaced on our on our boards and on on lot on social media uh, over the past week because we just saw Penn State do something similar with this with Marquise Wilson um, and Terry Smith kind of came out uh, in I think it was in the fall and said that he felt like they did Marquise Wilson a bit of a disservice when it came to his development um, by, by having him on both sides of the ball and. Uh, I think that with him being full-time back on the defensive side of the ball, it felt like he was getting back on track. That he was kind of picking up, excuse me, where he left off in that development um, as a cornerback. Um, but Christian Driver, it, it is interesting. I, I, you know, following along with his recruitment, um, there was kind of that will he or won't he, to, you know, what side of the ball is he going to be on? Um, and I thought that it was pretty interesting with him and Makai Flowers, who are both really big time two-way stars um, at, at their respective high schools and really productive offensive players um, that who were both had that athlete tag for a little bit that they, that Penn state had the pitch to them to come in, be defensive backs uh, and that they were willing to do it. Um, I think there was a lot of talk about driver playing safety and then moving over to cornerback once he got here um, and kind of following along with this. So, um, you know, I think that, <clears throat> with how it is with with guys like getting them to want to play on the defensive side of the ball, you know, that can be a bit of a challenge. Um, but I feel like, you know, I feel like I would, it would be more likely to see a wide receiver end up on the defensive side of the ball um, than kind of see the opposite switch happen. So this will be something to follow. I'm kind of like you said, I'm curious, you know, how they'll apply what they learned from the Marquise Wilson situation here. Um, but Christian Driver has the pedigree, um, so you know, it'll be really interesting to, to follow along with, with what this looks like. As I mentioned, Ken Miller was the other former four-star cornerback who came on board with this recruiting class. He has burned his red shirt. He has steadily played as a reserve cornerback this season, also involved on special teams. Um, at wide receiver, you've got plenty. I mean, you're not lacking for numbers right now in the freshman class. One guy has burned red shirt and presumably will burn red shirt this season in Omari Evans. He's had a limited impact overall on the box score, but he's been out there every game. Caden Saunders at two games, and then Tyler uh, Tyler Johnson, and also uh, who am I missing in this mix? Anthony Ivy. Um, both of those guys relegated to the practice field to this point, so a lot of unknowns. And if you were to add uh, Christian Driver, that's another definite unknown. So a lot to work with. Taylor Stubblefield's uh, someone we're going to get later in the week, and all of a sudden Christian Driver is the name that we're going to have to bring up with him because uh, certainly he's going to try to make his case for keeping Christian in that room if he likes what he sees um, over the course of these remaining practices in 2022. Daniel, the other freshmen that came up, and at this point they're always coming up, the, the two freshman running backs, uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, to me, it's just more impressive if you say their stats together at the moment. Uh, 1,432 rushing yards combined, 19 touchdowns combined. We are through 10 games of this season. 
it's just been remarkable. Not only is the conversation is this the, the, the maybe the best emerging duo in the Big Ten, people across the country now starting to look toward Happy Valley. And these guys, if things go according to plan, I'll knock on wood on the desk for James Franklin. They maybe have two more years together. They may have 30-plus more games together. And James Franklin twice while discussing these two said, just scratching the surface. It's really stating the obvious at this point when you talk about, oh, the the running game has improved. Um, but I think when you look at the numbers, it, it's pretty stark where uh, two years ago, Kevon Lee led the team with you know, 430 some yards rushing. Last year, he led the team with 530. Both Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are way over that, and they're going to finish way over that. Um, I think just looking at those raw stats um, is a really good way to see what Nick Singleton and Katron Allen have been able to do, how successful they've been. Um, the fact that Penn State has kept it pretty balanced. Um, you know, you have to factor in the Kevon Lee injury there um, with, with him missing essentially the past month um, of, of action. And, you know, maybe those numbers might come down. Maybe there might be a little bit more of a, of a three-way split. But, you know, I think coming into the year, there was some talk about, you know, uh, you know who, who's going to lead the this team in rushing? How many yards are they going to have? And if Nick Singleton breaks off a couple of big runs, I mean, over these next two weeks, I mean, he's in that 1,000-yard range right now. Um, you know, the Michigan State run defense is not good, um, and he's at 801 yards right now. So, you know, I think that that's something we're coming into the year. Um, if you said, oh, yeah, Nick Singleton might run rush for 1,000 yards, you would think, oh, well, you know, he was the the clear alpha, you know, Catron Allen, it took a little bit for him to get going. If he got going, um, you know, you would, I think, I don't think you would see it as much of a, a two headed monster in, in kind of forecasting that. But, you know, I think that we're only going to hear praise about these guys. I think that the fun thing about them is that you've really seen the development um, with the naked eye. Um, I think that, Sometimes over the course of a football season, it can be kind of hard um, to to parse out some of these things because there's so much nuance in the game. But I think with Nick Singleton, it's been clear that he's keeping things in between the tackles. I think with Katron Allen, um, that patience is just becoming more and more clear, that vision, that burst. Um, it's been really f- enjoyable to see, you know, the actual development happen right in front of you. Um, and I think that, you know, you can really, really see how high the ceiling is right now for this duo. And that's reflected in everything James Franklin says, everything Jay Sider says, every everything their teammates say. Through these 10 games, this freshman running back tandem has more rushing yards total than Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders had combined in 13 games in 2017. I just checked the stat sheets. Now, the caveat there is Trace McSorley had a fantastic rushing season. He went for almost 500 yards on the ground, 11 touchdowns, and Miles Sanders was still uh, relatively being eased in as the number two back. It was a Saquon Barkley show, but I think that still goes to show a little bit uh, in perspective because people have a lot of respect for what those two running backs accomplished. That was the one year where Miles got a little bit of work here and there, before he took off in 2018 for his one season as a starter. We know Saquon was an All-American in 2017. And just to say that those two have already surpassed the rushing totals of that tandem uh, thus far with two Big Ten games on the table is something. Let's finish this conversation with Jair Brown because he was kind of the star 
of this Tuesday. He wasn't the news, uh, the newsworthiest of, of every uh, thing that we heard about, but he's a guy that's getting a lot of respect. Um, you know, you're going to have that pouring on for Sean Clifford heading into senior day next week. Same goes for a guy like Jonathan Sutherland, two four-time team captains there. Jair Brown didn't start his career at Penn State. He wasn't a big-time recruit like a lot of the players he shares this locker room with. He almost went to Montclair State, and, and that was a Division three opportunity on the table for him coming out of Trenton Central. Instead, Lackawanna College Pipeline ends up here, finds his uh, home with his uh, buddy, Jaquan Brisker, works his way to the starting lineup last year, leads the team in takeaways, and now currently leading the team in takeaways again, leading the team in tackles. And as he told us, falling short of expectations, and he did not hesitate in saying that his personal expectations were much higher than what we see on display this year. That adds up to everything that everyone will tell you about Mr. Tig Brown. It was a really, really enjoyable call with Jair Brown today. It felt very honest, very candid, um, you know, an, an element of, of self-awareness. Um, you know, he got asked, you know, this is your, you know, this is coming up on it. I mean, you don't, this, you're out of eligibility. Um, you know, there, there's two games left and, um, you know, he didn't fall back on, on one and oh, I mean, he grouped these two games together and said that he wishes that time could slow down. Um, that that he wants to slow down time that um, I wouldn't say that he's not ready for this to end he understands that where he is and that this is kind of how things go I think he said that you know people move on things move on you move on that's part of it Um, but he's really savoring uh, what what he's approaching to but um, yeah I thought it was funny kind of funny when he was talking about how you know he hasn't reached any of his goals this year because Watching him play, you know, he's always around the ball. Uh, he's been used in a lot of different ways. Um, he's someone who is a playmaker. I mean, I don't think you can deny that. Um, so then I asked James Franklin about it a little bit later Tuesday, and he said, well, if Tig had 10 interceptions, he would probably say that's still not good enough. Um, that's just the way that Jair Brown is wired, and I think that that's kind of why he's had the success. Uh, the fact that you make it through the junior college ranks and you end up at a place like Penn State. And not only do you end up at Penn State, you end up a star, you end up a team captain. Um, you're going to be in the conversation for the NFL draft. Um, it's going to be really interesting what that looks like uh, in February, March, April, uh, in terms of testing, interviewing the combine. Um, it always feels like a couple Penn State guys really rise up the boards over the course of the process. Uh, Jair Brown could be one of those. I mean, late last year, he was rising up the draft boards for, for some analysts uh, based on the season that he had. Um, but, you know, I think that he's a senior. He's been in college for five years. He knows that things uh, are, are winding down. Um, I think that he really appreciates uh, his time at Penn State. You know, he said that where he comes from, you don't get many opportunities like this. And I think that he realized that. So he wanted to take advantage of it. And, you know, no matter what he says about his goals, uh, I think that he really has taken advantage of this chance that he had at Penn State. Yeah, James Franklin was pounding the table for him today. I think it's fair to say um, making sure that NFL draft scouts were on alert 
making sure they were aware of what Jaquan Brisker is accomplishing as a rookie, I think, too, with the Chicago Bears. But uh, more so just trying to say that this guy's going to test off the charts, they think, and better than people may anticipate. And he's going to interview at a very high level, which I think that we all understand. Uh, we've had the pleasure of interviewing him a bunch, and we'll get to do that just a few more times now. Um, and and I, I can guarantee he's going to go crush that situation when he gets in front of NFL scouts. Daniel, before we switch gears and go to Tyler Calvaruso with a recruiting breakdown, uh, Penn State basketball won that game on Monday night against Butler, 68-62 to in a game uh, that was not as close as the final score would indicate, which says a lot. And this team's 3-0. We've already discussed they've got that one vote for the AP Top 25 poll, and they've got a few games to maybe accrue some more respect at a national level before Big Ten play arrives. We saw it was a historic night at the Bryce Jordan Center uh, on, on Monday night. Jalen Pickett uh, had the second triple-double uh, in, in program history, uh, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. Uh, he's actually, it's the first points, rebounds, assists uh, triple-double in Penn State history. Calvin Booth's triple-double in 1998 was 19 points, 10 rebounds, 10 blocks. Um, (laughs) which is a pretty good statistical anomaly, um, I'd say. But, you know, Butler gave Penn State everything they could handle. Penn State was up by double digits in the first half. Butler got a two-point lead early in the second half. And then Penn State went on a 22-4 to run, I believe it was. You know, they really kicked it back into gear. They got up by 16 points. Uh, Butler tried to make it interesting in the final couple of minutes. Penn State held off. Um, it wasn't really the cleanest game. I think there are a lot of things that watching it, you'd want to see your team clean up. But at the same time, those are the types of games that you want to win. You know, they were going up against a, you know, a, one, a big East team in Butler that even though they've been down a couple years, they have a pedigree. Thad Mata, a, a familiar name uh, for a lot of Big Ten basketball and just college basketball fans in general. He's their coach. They had a legitimate big man in the six foot eleven Manny Bates, uh, who was you know a, a matchup issue for Penn State, um, with starting six foot seven uh, Caleb Dorsey uh, in the post, and they did it, uh, and they won. So they're three and zero. They got that vote in the AP Top twenty five earlier in the day, and now they go to Charleston for the weekend, where three games in four days, they could come back six and zero. They could come back five and one. This is the chance to really build some momentum. They have a, a pretty good Furman team uh, on Thursday, Virginia Tech or Old Dominion on Friday, and then someone from the other side uh, of the bracket, um, which I don't have in front of me, but I think Colorado State, South Carolina, Davidson, College of Charleston. Those are the four. So you can come back with a couple pretty good wins to put on your resume, um, you know, Whenever the, there's a big difference between the number in the win column and the number in the loss column, people are going to take notice. Um, and I think it's a good opportunity for Penn State to really figure a couple things out. Uh, they went tight last night with an eight-man rotation, but Micah Shrewsbury said that they're going to need everybody uh, down in South Carolina because it's three games in four days. You're going to have to lean on your players. You're going to have to get guys rest. You're going to have to go deeper into your bench. You're going to have to adjust on the fly. So... It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, And I think one thing that Mark Brennan and I were talking about with this tournament is that set up pretty nicely. An 1130 a.m. tip on Thursday, no games on your college football Saturday, and then you'll have the chance to watch them on, uh, you know, Sunday as well. So if you want your Nittany Lions hoops fix, it's going to be right there for the taking. 
And if you also want your Nittany Lions hoops fixed online, 247.com, there was a bunch of coverage coming out of this matchup on Monday. It's going to be the case coming out of a lot of these games. Uh, photos, uh, top takeaways, uh, storylines story that emerge. You had a story on that tri historic triple-double, as you just reported. So uh, appreciate all the coverage you provided the site and bringing some basketball talk onto the show here. We'll talk to you real soon, Daniel. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Recruiting is beginning to heat up. The class of 2023 game of musical chairs beginning to play out across college football. Penn State ready to step up and state claim to some top prospects out there. Uh, Steve Wiltfong had a story up at lines247.com for our VIP subscribers on Tuesday about how the Penn State Nittany Lions are in prime position to come away with some of those top targets. Now we bring on Tyler Calvaruso to break it down with us. And well, before we get to anything else, I want to check in on you, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. I heard you guys got some snow up there today. It's, it's Too much crazy. snow. It's it's a little aggressive for mid-November. I thought we were getting some flurries, maybe one of those overnight dustings. Instead, it's like an hour drive uh, on, on a normal 10-minute drive, and we're, we're skidding around. So, <laughs> yeah, but, hey, it's Big Ten territory. We, yeah. know, what, we know what we're signing up for. Um, Tyler, when we look at the recruiting conversation right with Penn State, it all of a sudden uh, very quickly shifts down south uh, to Daniel yeah. Harris, um, he announces his decommitment from the reigning national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. He's been to campus as an official visitor. What can you tell us about this four-star prospect as he reopens things just about, what, a, a month and a week away from the early signing period? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So really coming out of Saturday into Sunday, there was a lot of buzz about Harris having a desire to make a move off his Georgia commitment, and Penn State was a big reason why. Harris was on campus for an official in June. That trip went really well. Penn State did a lot of good things on that trip, and it looked like the Nittany Lions really made a move with him there. But about a week later, he wound up in Georgia's class, and it looked like he was going to stay there for a while. But credit to the Penn State staff. You know, they have stayed on him, and, you know, I could go as far as saying they kind of forced the issue here because I, I think right now – the biggest reason why Harris decided to move off his Georgia commitment is because of the work that the Penn State staff has put in with him to kind of try and make him reconsider things. And Michigan is in that as well. This isn't just a Penn State thing. Michigan is there as well. But Penn State has done a lot of good stuff with Harris. There's been a lot of selling from Terry Smith and the staff. And many lines are in a really good spot right now. So definitely one we'll be keeping an eye on, especially now that he's actually back on the market officially. 
Harris, 6'2", 175 pounds, long limbs, and he's crawling that comparison from our Florida recruiting expert for 24-7 sports, Andrew Ivins, to the one and only Joey Porter Jr., who we've had the pleasure of watching play cornerback here for the last few years. Uh, so Penn State fans can wrap their arms around that kind of a comparison. And Harris carries a 90 rating from 24-7 sports. He's a top 30 overall cornerback. He's a bit higher in the composite, which puts him at the top 200 overall and when we sort through this recruitment process he's already made that official visit i think it's important to be clear here because i yeah. think some pet state fans might be saying okay the next step is clearly to get him on campus at happy valley he's done that he's been up here it wasn't snowing fortunately for a kid from south florida uh, but what do you think about how this plays out moving forward because penn state's really going to have to hit the road for this one i would imagine yeah so it's really just you know a matter of coaches continuing to establish what has been a pretty strong relationship and just keep hammering that. And, you know, you mentioned Joey Porter Jr. That's such an easy sell for Penn State because Harris is built and such this, the measurables are almost exactly the same to, with the two coming out of high school. So, I mean, we're talking about a really similar player. And Joey Porter Jr.'s draft spot, his draft stock at this point speaks for itself. He's going to go high. All Terry Smith has to do is really point to that and say, hey, look, I've developed him to this point. I could get you there too, right? Like you're, you're very similar. Your traits are the same. Your measurables are the same. You play a similar style of coverage. There's a lot going. And yeah, Penn State's going to have to get down there. They're going to have to, you know, probably go in home with Harris at some point. But right now, I think it's Penn State and then it's the rest of the field. I know I mentioned Michigan and Michigan has been putting in some work there as well. And they've made some progress, but there are a lot of people in Ann Arbor as well who feel that it's Penn State in the field. So many lines, you know, I'm sure they're going to get down there. The staff's going to keep putting in work and keep hammering home to Harris that, you know, coming from Florida and heading up to Happy Valley is going to be the move for him. We got some crystal balls in, you know, I'm very strongly considering tossing one in here pretty soon. You know, all, just the intel is pointing all towards the Nittany Lions right now. They got to love where they're at. And this is a guy at a Gulliver prep in Miami. So when you're talking about, snagging a player from that area of yeah. the country at this time of the recruiting calendar. And yes, that Big. kind of a pedigree, that's a serious pickup if it can come to fruition. Let's stay to the South and go with a guy who has less cachet on the recruiting trail, but he has certainly some power five interest mounting right now at running back Cameron Wallace. He made the trip up to campus. Uh, and with Cam Wallace, uh, this is a guy who has the, the the kind of the track background. You can see the gold medal around his neck in his 24-7 sports profile picture, in fact. And the SEC schools that are kind of knocking around, kicking those tires, it's a late-blooming classic example. Penn State got their chance to, to showcase campus. He got his chance to feel out the situation. How did those two parties exit their 48-hour experience together? I would say they exited on a pretty high note. You know, Wallace has had a lot of good things to say coming out of that visit. Uh, Penn State staff liked them. It, it was a good visit all around. You know, a lot of real mutual interest there. And Wallace, you know, for those of our listeners who are into the whole social media game when it comes to recruiting, I know we got some of them on the site. I'm sure we got some of them listening as well. Wallace has been all Nittany Lions on Twitter pretty much since his visit. And, you know, that speaks to something. So I did some asking around on Wallace after that official wrapped up. And I wrote about it a little bit. I'm not sure still that his timeline has changed. You know, we've talked about him as a late riser. That's what he is. He's a track guy who was really burst onto the scene during his senior year. His speed is a big reason why. I mean, he's just electric with the ball in his hands out of the backfield. And he does have SEC programs sniffing around. You know, Mississippi State is involved. 
Auburn is involved. Granted, you don't know what's going to happen there with the coaching and who's going to take over there. So that's obviously a wild card. But I think there is somewhat of a desire for him to still, you know, explore those options and see what comes about. But Penn State left a pretty strong impression in its favor coming out of this visit. And to say the Nittany Lions are on top right now, not a stretch by any means, in my opinion. It's despite the, the situation at Auburn, if they were going to have to, to try to bring in a, 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 you know, a competitive situation at running back right now, Cadillac Williams is a pretty good face yeah. in the franchise uh, to be, you know, giving that kind of a pitch. Um, the other, the running back that has been, you know, has long surfaced in this conversation because London Montgomery joined this recruiting class in the summer. Unfortunately, his senior season was lost due to an injury. Um, he's going to get to continue his rehabilitation process pretty soon here at Penn State, work his way back, and we'll see if he's a factor next year. But this running back room, we know they have those special, special freshmen that we expect to be special sophomores next year. There's not a lot we know is with certainty about that room, so I feel like it's important they take care of business with that second running back spot. And Christopher Johnson, another Florida player down at, at uh, Dillard High School in Fort Lauderdale, is another guy we've got to keep on our, our on our radar, correct? Yeah, he's a guy that Penn State, they got out to see him during the bye week, when Penn State's bye week. Joe Ansari and James Franklin, they were down in Florida. They went out to a Dillard game, and Johnson really appreciated that. And I've been saying it really for a while now with Johnson. The biggest thing with him is – actually making the campus you know it, it feels like we've been saying oh he's gonna take an official for pretty much forever now and that official obviously hasn't happened yet now i've received i've received some indication that there is still a pretty good chance that's gonna happen but i do know that Ole miss did a really good job with johnson over the weekend on that official visit and he actually picked up a crystal ball prediction i believe to land with the rebels so you know it's kind of still a wait and see thing I think the official will happen unless he decides he wants to pop for Ole Miss. I kind of think that's where things are at right now. For a while, the intel pointed to Miami being the favorite. I think Ole Miss has jumped them. I think it's more Ole Miss and Penn State right now than it is Ole Miss, Penn State, Miami. So while it may be a two-team race, we still got to see if he's going to make it to campus because that's really the end-all, be-all in this recruitment. If he never gets here, he's obviously not coming. So we're going to have to monitor that official, see if it gets scheduled, and see if it actually occurs. Maybe it's a new November tradition of Lane Kiffin versus James Franklin, but Penn State commit Dakari Nelson was down in Oxford for an official visit with Ole Miss last weekend. That had some people, you know, at least on alert. Uh, people are still, when they look at these recruits to the South, whether it's those defensive backs in Florida or Nelson in Alabama, um, there is obvious understanding why there may be, uh, until the ink is dry and these guys are enrolled, why things may not be a done deal. What are you hearing out of Dakari Nelson's visit? Is this something that's heating up for Ole Miss, or maybe is it cooling off? Eh, I'm not sure I'd go as far as saying it's heating up. The feedback out of that visit is, yeah, you, I don't think really Penn State has much to worry about there right now. It's kind of kind of similar vibes to his, the uh, post feedback, the post visit feedback from when he went to Auburn in September. You know that that was an official that he made to another SEC program, you know, being an Alabama native, he got out there and the feedback coming out of that trip was nothing really doing. And I'm getting a lot of the same kind of feedback coming out of his Ole Miss visit. You know, it's, it's interesting that he's getting out there and visiting other programs. And, you know, we're always advocates of kids exploring all their options and, you know, doing what they got to do to make sure that they're finding the right fit for themselves at the next level. And right now for Nelson, it, it looks like these visits have kind of reinforced that Penn State is the right fit for him at the next level. So I, I don't really think that, Penn State really has a whole lot to fret over here. 
And the big thing with Nelson, I would say, just throughout this whole process of him going elsewhere and taking other visits, he's been very transparent with the staff, and that has obviously been appreciated. No games on his side. You know, the staff's been well aware of what his plans are, what he's doing. So I would say all is well between those two parties right now. Nelson is the number 26 safety in 24-7 sports rankings for the 2023 class. Uh, he is a uh, 90 ranking, which puts him in four-star territory. Six foot three, 203, and we've discussed this uh, on the podcast a few times before, projecting him at that next level to perhaps fill that Sam linebacker spot. We've seen high school safeties make that transition at Penn State, and this guy has that frame, and I think that the physical uh, physical embracing of, of what defensive football is to maybe fill that role at the next level at the college football um, when he ranks, when he jumps up to these ranks. Now, looking around this 2023 cycle and, and the things that are unfinished and, and we're coming down to the stretch here and, and not everything's going to be done in December, but it will be done by that first week of February. Offensive tackle and the ability to bring those guys in. You wrote a story last week off of some quotes we got out of an interview with Phil Troutwine just regarding the the trouble that you can have and, and, and consistently bringing in guys who are what would be considered slam dunk tackle prospects where you know what you're getting and you know what you'll have for two or three years. Um, and Malik McNeil has now exited the yeah. equation and he was the tackle prospect in this last recruiting class, along with Drew Shelton, six foot seven, uh, weren't sure what to make of him, but thought we, that could come to fruition in the next couple of years. And he could be uh, maybe a talent for you on the perimeter. Not going to happen here at Penn state. Maybe JB Nelson bumps out to tackle, maybe Landon Tengwall transitions out to the perimeter next year when he's healthy. But right now, feels like they've got to find somebody. Who are the names that Penn State fans can cling to? And right now, uh, what is the move for these Nittany Lions? You know, in terms of the move, I, I feel like there's still a lot of kicking of the tires going on right now. You know, I, I, we talk about how little time there is between now and the early signing period. But like you said, this can go until February as well. So there's still time for Penn State to find some guys. And one guy on the radar right now who I really like, you know, I know Penn State likes is uh, the Juco tackle, Keyshawn Blackstock. So he's out in the Midwest. That's someone Coach Trotwan. He got out to see him during the bye week, keep Penn State in that race. Good relationship there. And th there's competition. You know, it's kind of tough to pinpoint who the leader is with him right now. So that's going to be pretty much an ever-developing recruitment leading up until the early signing period, maybe longer. You know, we'll see. We'll see what he decides to do. And the other name that I've reported on a bunch, Stanton Ramil, he's a Michigan State commit. It kind of seems like, and, and I've said this really countless times when talking about him, I don't think he's going to back off his Michigan State commitment. So this might all be a moot point when it's all said and done. But it has seemed like Penn State would be in a good spot to make a move with him if he, if he was to come off that commitment. Now it's seeming more like maybe there's going to be an SEC flavor if he does decide not to be a Spartan. Auburn, you know, they feel really good about where they're at with him. I know Tennessee is still involved. And while Ramil has family in the Northeast and Binghamton in New York specifically, and there is a draw there, I, I think him being down in Alabama playing his high school ball down there, there definitely has been, you know, an increase. He's given the SEC some increased attention that has rubbed off on his recruitment. So other than those two, you know, there's really a lot of evaluating going on. There's still some offers that are going to have to go out and it kind of reminds me of, you know, the, the conversation we had about uh, defensive line recruiting earlier, you know, in the late summer. It's it's really just a lot of evaluating going on from the staff. And that board, even though it's late in the cycle, it is still developing at the same time. So it's a fluid situation for sure. 
Clint Brewster is a former college quarterback who for a while now has done some really creative uh, prospect evaluation work for 24-7 for sports. And he had a pretty cool piece up uh, here on Tuesday. We posted it up at the site at lines247.com, just evaluating the snap count, the, the early yeah. usage in year one for the top 100 prospects from 24-7 from sports rankings for this freshman class. So that puts a lot of Penn State freshmen out of play. They burned nine red shirts, but only three Penn State players fall into that category of being top 100 prospects from our rankings in the last cycle um, and, and, and that are going to qualify for this in terms of, of, of playing extensively. Uh, and, and those would be Nick Singleton, uh, Denai Dennis Sutton, and Drew Aller. Caden uh, Saunders was a top 100 prospect, but to this point, playing in two games, hasn't accrued those. I thought it was interesting. Drew Aller, number two among those quarterbacks, yeah. and, and there were several of them in the top 100 in terms of snap counts. I know people across our message boards and the Penn State fan base, and we've talked about it on the podcast, mm-hmm. feel that perhaps Perhaps he should have more snap counts by now, but but he's number two among that group, and that, that's showing that getting the seasoning that maybe others are not. Uh, Nick Singleton far and away, no one else has 100 snaps to their credit through one through these first 11 weeks of the college football season. Nick Singleton is right there, knocking on the door of 300 snaps. And if you put Katron Allen on this list, you have to include a lot of other running backs. If you open it up to the top 24/7, let's say from last year's cycle, but Katron Allen actually has more snaps than Nick Singleton to this point in the season. And then denied it in Sutton, he is in the top five among edge rushers uh, from that freshman class in the top 100 group, um, playing extensively as a second, third teamer, uh, depending on what their depth looks like, game the game at defensive end. So I say all this to set the stage for you. Those are three examples right there among national leaders at their position, following through on their end of the deal by showing up the campus prepared and then getting after it on the practice field and earning spots and then staying on the field when they got their opportunities. But what does it show for the Penn State staff and their willingness to get these guys out there that they can then package and sell on the recruiting trail? You know, there are so many recruits out there who playing or they want to play early. You know, that's a high priority on their list. They want to get on the field. They want to show what they could do. They want to accumulate film and they want to get to the next level. And for a lot of those guys, playing early plays a big part in that. Now, for some, it's more realistic than others. You know, depending on talent level, circumstance, where you are in the depth chart, there's a lot that goes into it. Now, from a Penn State perspective, they've shown the staff and the way they utilize their young guys and the way they utilize their true freshmen, they, they've shown, hey, look, we don't care about the experience. Well, obviously, the experience factor matters, but if you come in here, you work your butt off, you do all the right things, you get your nose in the playbook, you, you get where you need to be schematically – and you just do your job really on a daily basis, you're going to have a chance to contribute pretty early. You're going to have a chance to play on a team that is ranked highly in the country. That, that's something kids want to do. And the staff would be, you know, I mean, the staff has done a really good job of selling that on the trail. They, they tell kids, you know, really all you got, the proof is in the pudding. You just got to watch. Look how much our young guys play. And when we're not just talking about these young guys playing in garbage time, what you just outlined. Nick Singleton, Katron Allen are out there every single game leading the backfield. Two true freshmen at a big-time program leading a backfield. That resonates with recruits, man. Even those who aren't running backs, they see that, and they're like, damn, the staff's giving those guys a chance. Let me come in there, perform on that level, and I'm going to get a a chance too. Abdul Carter's getting a chance at linebacker. Just so many guys are in the rotation. Deny Dennis Sutton, he's really come on. So, yeah, recruits always mention it to me. You know, They see what the staff does with early playing time, and they like it. It's definitely a selling point to Feather and Penn State's cap for sure. Probably more so than a lot of other programs, I would say. 
typically a part of every visit to a college football facility features you sitting down in a room, the lights go down, and then they put on this big screen and it's a highlight reel of the last season or it's a highlight reel of, of, of your program. And it hits different when you're a recruit, you're coming up on your high school graduation, you're trying to figure out where do you want to be? Which room do you want to be in next year at this time? Which position room do you want to be? Do you want to be at Penn State? Do you want to be at a Notre Dame? Do you want to be at an Alabama? You know, no matter what you're considering, if you sit down there and you watch that highlight reel and a bunch of those star players are guys that you will be playing with, not guys that you're going to be you know, maybe maybe seen in the winter on your way on and they're on their way out. Exactly. That's what Penn State can yep. do right now. They can they can throw that highlight reel and they can be a lot of guys who are going to be with you for next year, a couple years down the road. And quite frankly, I mean, some really good college football teams, because they're really good, they've got a lot of those experienced players. There's a, a blend of that at Penn State, but it's hard to ignore the youth movement. James Franklin has been pretty adamant about that this was coming it has arrived, and now some of those faces, central figures at the heart of what Penn State can accomplish here in November and, and into December and January are part of that freshman class or a redshirt freshman or sophomore group. And to me, when those recruits are on campus or those you know, junior day visits happen in, in January this winter, sitting down and seeing guys who you're not just going to say, oh, I look forward to watching him in the NFL in 2023. Yeah. It's like, no, he's going to be a sophomore, and do you want to play alongside him? That's why it's a little bit different of a feel for Penn State than I think people are realizing. And that'll start to become more obvious as we see the team build. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more because for as much quality experience that Penn State has just scattered throughout the roster, we all know the young core is the future. And this 20, this class, they see it. They're going to be coming on campus and they're going to be playing with guys who are such a big part of what James Franklin is trying to accomplish next season, the year after that. These guys are going to be here. Now, you know, some are going to leave early for the NFL, but you're still going to get the chance to play with them. There's still going to be plenty of opportunity for you to take the field with them and get those reps in with them and just, you know, be part of something special. Because I think this young core does have a real chance to be special. We're seeing it already with guys like Singleton and Allen, just what they've been in. Now, now we're seeing it with Drew Shelton, too, with him stepping into the starting line. They, so, they got that quarterback that we hear is pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, we're talking about a guy who was the number one player at his position in the country last year, and he's going to be stepping at the most him. important position yeah. potentially in sports. I mean, the future is right there in front of for, for these recruits. They see it; it's right there. It's very apparent. So it's something that recruits love, and it's, it's, I'd say I would say that it's played a pretty big part in this class coming to fruition, and it might be a pretty even bigger part in guys like Daniel Harris jumping on board late. I think that's a big part of Penn State's pitches. Look at this young core we have. Look how much they play, and you're going to be able to be part of that. Well, we've got to be careful focusing too much on the future when we're talking about team day-to-day -day stuff like what we just did with Daniel. But that's why I like bringing you on because we can let the imagination go because exactly, that's what recruiting's man. all well, about, baby. <laughs> well, hey, Tyler, we appreciate it. You've also got some basketball recruiting news coming out of the weekend with some visitors. So people can check all that out. A bunch coming your way at lines247.com from Tyler on the recruiting trail now. And every week ahead as we get ready for National Signing Day, make sure you're signed up for our VIP subscription. 30% uh, off right now for an annual deal. You can spend $1 for one month. Take a test ride. Let us prove it to you. You'll stick around. Uh, so come on board, lines247.com. Get a lot more than what you're hearing from Tyler in these conversations here uh, during the podcast segment. All right, man, we'll let you get back to work. Really appreciate the time. And uh, we'll catch up. Do it again soon. Of course, man. Hope you guys listen and jump on board. I promise you won't regret it. All right. Later, dude. 
Big thanks to Tyler Calvaruso, to Daniel Gallon, to our producer, Lance Glenn. Uh, always great to get together with these guys uh, over the course of this week. Just one more game week beyond this one. It's pretty remarkable how the season has flown by, in my opinion, at this stage. The 8-2 Nittany Lions preparing for a trip to Piscataway to take on Rutgers on Saturday. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, give you our takeaways from the practice field on Wednesday, which are increasingly more important week to week now as we work through player availability and who may or may not be available to take on the Scarlet Knights this weekend. Um, and then we're back Saturday, of course, with our post-game podcast uh, to break down everything we saw uh, out there in New Jersey. We'll have uh, some Scarlet Knights beat reporter on Thursday, Bobby Darren uh, from our 24-7 sports site, uh, will give us the lowdown on the Scarlet Knights who have largely struggled in Big Ten action after a pretty solid September. So stick with us here. A full week of coverage ahead at Lions247.com. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.